I have a non-traditional job. I have the kind of job when strangers ask me what I do for a living and I say podcast host. The first question they ask after that is, what's a podcast? The second question they ask is, but what do you do for money? Even though I'm lucky enough to have a creative job that supports my lifestyle, going into this podcast, I still didn't really get how YouTube creators get paid. As I've been working on this series, I've been chatting with guests who haven't taken the most traditional path. And when you don't have the security of a nine to five job, you have to think of creative ways to not only do what you love, but also support yourself financially. I'm your host, Brittany Luce, and this is The Upload, The Rise of the Creator Economy, a special podcast from YouTube in partnership with National Public Media. In this episode, we're going to dive into a crucial part of the creator economy. How do you earn a living from YouTube? Remember in episode one, that Oxford Economic Impact Report I mentioned? Well, the 2020 stats just came out today. And YouTube's creative ecosystem contributed $20 billion to the United States GDP. That's a 25% increase from the previous year. Put another way, that's the equivalent of nearly 400,000 full-time jobs. As we've seen, there are a lot of creators who are making money directly off their channels. But that's not the only way that creators can earn their living. In fact, as you'll soon hear, they can also generate revenue streams that don't depend on ads. And a key component to doing this successfully relies on creators having a deep and meaningful connection with their viewers. Today's guest has done exactly that. His name is Caleb Marshall, a.k.a. The Fitness Marshall. Hello, every booty. Welcome to <laughs> our very first sweat session of 2021. Not a channel that is going to tell you to lose weight. That's going to tell you how to look. This is a channel that's hopefully going to make you feel good. Welcome back to another Strength Marshall video. <laughs> sweat session. It's a, a Strength Marshall video. Welcome back to us. Caleb's channel features high-energy dance workout videos with popular music, featuring tons of Britney Spears. But because Caleb uses copyrighted music, he can't monetize his videos in the traditional way. So to grow his business without relying on ads, Caleb didn't just need a lot of viewers. He needed real people who would support all aspects of his business, from his in-person fitness classes to his apparel collection and member-exclusive content. Here's my conversation with the fitness marshal himself. Hi, Caleb. It's nice to see you. Hi, Brittany. You too. All right. So um, to jump right in, if you could um, just introduce yourself, like say your name and, and what you do. I am Caleb Marshall, also known as the Fitness Marshall, and I am known as the modern day combination of Richard Simmons and Britney Spears. I love that. I'm like, what was the <laughs> what was the early days <laughs> combination between Richard Simmons and Britney Spears? Um, uh, so how do you introduce yourself if you're just like meeting somebody in passing today? Like, do you think of yourself as a dancer, oh. a fitness instructor, a content creator? Like, how do you put that? You know, I feel like and especially being on YouTube, I just think of myself as a content creator. I'm just someone who had an had a love for a lot of different things and really a love for helping people. And I was able to create content that really didn't fit in one specific vertical. And I got to do that through YouTube. So if you could just like, like talk to me about your channel, like what, what, what content are you creating? 
Um, I'm creating easy to follow dance fitness videos where I'm just standing in front of a camera and I'm directing people and they're following along with me. And it just opens up this opportunity for people to feel like a pop star and feel so <laughs> confident in their bodies because they're at home and they're not surrounded by people and not in this intimidating space. And so that's so amazing. So um, I want to talk a little bit more about how you got started. Like, how did you combine your background in dance and your passion for performing with fitness? Like, how did you get started? Um, I mean, I always loved performing. I always loved making people happy in some form. I myself was going through a lot of issues with feeling like I really didn't know where I fit in in this world, but I just knew that I wanted to create and I wanted to entertain. And so when I got to college, I started teaching these dance fitness classes and this light bulb moment went off and I was like, oh my gosh, this is my true passion. And I just really gave everything to these dance fitness classes that were paying me $10 and 45 cents an hour. And so it was, Ooh, you remember. It was <laughs> I do, I do. I was clocking in, <laughs> but it was amazing because I got to do something I really loved. But on the other hand, it was kind of like, this is just a hobby. It's not really an actual career. Oh. And I went to school, by the way, for video production. And so I'm thinking that I'm going to be creating videos for other people. I'm going to do music videos. And then I had this moment where I was on an internship and I was like, oh my gosh, I hate this. I don't want to be here. And I, <laughs> I it was awful because I was like, I, I'm a senior in college. And I just realized that my dreams aren't even my dreams. Oh. And so it was this big, like, what do I do with my life? And then I just came back to, I love making dance fitness dances and, and teaching people in person. And so I took what I did. I took my knowledge of video production and I put it on YouTube. I had no idea what I was getting into going into it. I didn't watch much YouTube. I just knew that that made the most sense to me. I could reach the most amount of people. I could, I could do the most good. And I felt like I really had to shoot my shot. How much planning and thought did you put into creating and, and launching your channel? Um, I, I don't do anything without a lot of effort and a lot of planning. Mm -hmm. So I got back to school. I realized that I wanted to start this YouTube channel and I was brainstorming. I was talking to friends and trying to, trying to figure out what to do. And I basically, um, in like a discussion with a group of people, we came up with the name, the fitness marshal. And then we were like, that's really funny because your family is my, like I, all my family is like ex-military or still active. Mm -hmm. And I'm obviously very gay and I really enjoy just being free and being myself. So I was like, why don't I take kind of both of those things and put them together and take my last name, which is Marshall and create this brand. And so just naturally from that, I was like, okay, so like army colors, camo, um, let's, let's name our, let's name the backup dancers. So I thought, okay, I want it to be me and I want it to be two people behind me. Mm -hmm. That was always the plan. I love the idea of like having a backup dancer, but then I was like, we can't just call them backup dancers. So we, <laughs> we came up with the name backup booty and branded that. And then I, I got a, uh, like a logo. And so I like, I did a, uh, a cutout of me like saluting and that became like me saluting and then stars. So that became like my brand image that I used with everything. And it just was very consistent, repetitive imaging. If you look at the videos, I mean, I think for five years straight, I wore camo pants. Wow. And I wore a, like a black tank top. And that was so intentional because I was like, there are so many people on this platform. There are so many fitness instructors. Mm -hmm. I want people to look at me and recognize me the same way they recognize a cartoon. 
Like wow. when you see your favorite cartoon character, they are wearing the same thing. And it's like a joke because people are like, oh, is, your just, <laughs> is your closet just tank tops and camo pants? But it really was. But I, I, people were commenting like, why is he always wearing camo pants? And I was like, it's working. It's working. <laughs> Because that's how people would recognize yeah. me. They'd be like, oh, you're the guy in the black tank at the camo pants. You know, sometimes new creators can struggle to keep the momentum going when they first launch a channel. But you actually had a background in video production. How did that help you when it came time to launch your own channel? So from the beginning, it was very intentional and it was always... Um, passion driven. I remember I created 12 videos and made sure I had all 12 ready to post. Wow. Um, I had... I, I mean, I rented production equipment. I got lights. I I put in so much effort to making all of the videos look and sound the same so that it really could be this seamless experience that you could just autoplay. And I knew how you, YouTube's algorithm worked and it would just surface the next video or I could make a playlist. And so from the very beginning, I made sure it was a full and complete workout experience. And I just kept that same consistent brand. And if you look at my videos now, it's still the same exact setup the quality is constantly improved, but the recognizability of, mm. oh, that's that, that's the dancing guy. That's the guy in the camo <laughs> pants. Like you're always, you're, it's always going to have those elements that are very recognizable. So obviously that pre-launch strategy and all that planning was a success. I mean, you got 100,000 subscribers in less than a year. I mean, actually you got there in eight months, which is incredible. Not a lot of people can say that. How did it feel to reach that milestone? I mean, I didn't even know how to wrap my mind around it. I actually just found a post last week that I made on Facebook. And it was like, oh my gosh, thanks guys. Over 200 subscribers on my YouTube channel and 10,000 views. <laughs> this means so much to me. I never thought this was possible. And it was just the sweetest, purest thing because I, I didn't know what to expect. And at, at, from my perspective, like when people come to class... I mean, if you have 50 people in a room, like that's so much energy, that's so yeah. many personalities. And so I always went into it knowing like what a number meant, like what a person meant. And so I, when I saw 200 subscribers, I was just mind blown. And then when I saw 100,000, wow, I, I, it's just like, <laughs> and it's so weird because you see so many people online with all of these millions of followers and it's so easy to just compare yourself, but to think like, wow, little old me and the middle of Indiana in the middle of nowhere has 100,000 people who have chosen to actually click the subscribe button. Even at that moment, I realized I was still going to have to figure everything out. Like those subscribers, those numbers are amazing, but they they have to lead into action items. I mean, for me, like what what are you going to do with those subscribers? How are you going to leverage that? How are you going to build a business? It was never from the beginning like, oh, let me just put out videos and then hope I become rich and famous just because it was like, okay, you have these things, but I'm my own boss. Like there's no one at YouTube, like handing me a check, like giving mm -hmm. me money or telling me what to do. It's like, I am responsible for my own success. You made an important executive decision for your channel early on. You decided to use popular copyrighted music in your videos. How did that impact your ability to monetize? It's funny because I've never directly monetized my channel. Um, it's from the beginning. I knew that I was using popular music. And at, I genuinely thought like the people who had millions of subscribers, surely like once you're at that level, you're going to monetize these videos. Yeah. And then I remember messaging one of my like 
fitness inspirations on YouTube. And I was asking how you, how she monetized her content. And mm-hmm. she said that she didn't. And I was like, oh, oh. what did I sign up for? <laughs> what did I do? <laughs> and it was a really scary moment because I could have quit. I mean, that sounds really hard, but but ultimately you stuck with it. Yeah. So, it was, I mean, that was the worst thing is spending all that time knowing I'm not going to get paid and still maybe the video is going to get blocked. And Oof. so I think YouTube's done a lot of work in their relations with labels. Um, so now the, the videos are able to be viewed by everyone most, most of the time. But all of that revenue is going directly to the copyright owners. And I think that's what people don't know. They think that when they see a video with millions of views on YouTube, they assume the creator is getting that money. But there's a cut involved. YouTube gets a cut and the labels get a cut. In my case, YouTube gets a cut, the labels get a cut, I get nothing. And I, I'm very open about that. I've talked about that a lot. And it was really difficult for me because I am someone who, for better or for worse, cannot do something if, unless I love it. I mean, yeah. I can't fake it. I <laughs> And it's also, I have, AD, I have ADHD. And so it's really hard for me to, to focus on something if I don't really care about it. So why is it so important that you use popular music in your videos? I mean, I talk about this all the time, but Britney Spears is my number one icon. Like she's my, she, <laughs> she inspired me to, to, to be a performer and she, her music uh, got me through so much in my life. And so the idea of me making videos to copyright free music and using music that, that doesn't move me that's just a disservice to the people watching because if I'm not moved, if I'm not feeling these emotions, then how am I going to to make them feel those emotions? How do I make people feel confident and, and sexy and powerful if we're just dancing to a track that nobody knows? And sometimes that works and sometimes it's necessary just because like you have to pay your bills. But I I said that if I could ever help it, I would I would do whatever I could to keep using popular music. So at this point, you're not monetizing your videos directly on the platform. How did you keep yourself financially afloat? I mean, I couldn't afford a haircut. I could not. Wow. I mean, I was living with my boyfriend who was in college. So I was like staying in his dorm room rent free, like graduated brushing my teeth with freshmen. (laughs) Meanwhile, having over a hundred thousand subscribers. Wow. It was the most weird thing. Like, oh yeah, you're the you're the famous guy on YouTube you need you need money to to eat like it didn't make any sense but (laughs) yeah I I really stuck with it and I I thought that if I loved it enough and I I stuck with my passion that I would figure it out and so my partner at the time decided hey if we can't monetize these videos on YouTube what if we leverage your audience and we start creating concerts and we start performing live and I was so scared to do that because I didn't think anyone would want to come Oh, but no. I know I was so nervous, but I, I let him do it and I let him set up this live event. And I remember, I think we sold like 25 tickets the first day and like 25 tickets the next, but that was the max capacity of the venue. Yeah. And so I was like, okay. And so we did it again, like a couple hours away, 70 people come. We keep repeating this. And every time we do it, more and more people come. And wow. before you know it, we are on a literal like U.S. tour that we've booked all ourselves. I mean, my 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 fiance Cameron's calling all of these venues, um, rent like renting the lights. Uh, we're doing our own production. We're everything is just us. But 
we finally find a way to make some money. Now, it's not much because we're, you know, renting all of these things, we're flying out, but we do find a way to start like keeping our head above water. And that was kind of the pattern for quite some time is just how do we keep our head above water, leverage our audience and keep building a business. Talk to me about uh, the other approaches that you've taken to sort of uh, expand the different ways that you can monetize your content. Uh, and how do you currently monetize your channel? Like memberships, exclusive content, like talk to me about what, what you're currently doing. What really genuinely changed our lives, <laughs> and I'm not, that's in no, no understatement, what changed our lives was YouTube memberships. And it also happened right around the time the world shut down and no one could go to the gym. And it was just this, I, I mean, I felt like, Every star had aligned. So once the pandemic happened, um, I mean, we, we launched our memberships, I think, in January or February. The world shuts down, you know, in March, April. And so it's this weird thing where a few months ago we were going to quit. And all of a sudden now we have a subscription model within app, which is so incredible because we've tried that before outside of platform. It didn't work. People love being able to stay on YouTube and it's it's almost like our content, but long form, reborn, mm. more energy. It's just, it's elevated. And so I feel so good about it because it's not a money grab. It's not, hey, just donate to me because I want a bigger house. Yeah. It's like, I have something really amazing to offer you that I deserve to be paid for, um, but that I've never been able to offer before. And so, yeah, memberships, I mean, changed my life. So what's next for you as you continue to like grow your brand and, and expand, I guess, like your, your media empire in a way. What, what's coming up? Um, I'm really, really excited about this. Um, I talked a little bit about it, but um, we're long, we have our active booty activewear line. And so that's something that we made for every type of person. And so, like I said, we spent two years developing this and we did it with another YouTuber and we launched this activewear an extra small to 3X. And something that we did that no one else was doing is we fit on models of every size. So like, instead of just saying, let's fit a small person and then let's just size up everything. It's like, no, Mm -hmm. the dancers I have with me are women of different sizes. All of our audience are people of every shape and size that you can imagine. And everyone needs to be represented. It didn't make sense for us to approach it in any, in any other way. And so we did it with so much time and passion and, the success that we had when we launched that. I mean, we sold out, I think within a week of all of our activewear and coming from a, a a YouTubers who, who put out merch and no one bought it. It was this really wonderful moment that was like, Oh, okay. Like when, when you put something out, that's really functional and for people and then leverage your audience on YouTube, you can really make magic and more than magic. You can make a sustainable business. What advice would you give other people who want to make content on YouTube. Make sure you love what you do. Like really make sure you love what you do. Give yourself the opportunity to grow and to change. And and it might not be exactly what you thought it was going to be, but really make sure that you're in it for the long haul. Because if you're, if you're coming to YouTube and you want overnight success, if you want that mansion just by posting, you know, a video of you hanging out with your friends. Like that's not what you're going to get from YouTube. YouTube is a place for long haul growth, sustainable content and and really building a brand and a business. 
No one's going to wake you up and say, hey, have you posted this video? That That's just not going to happen. Yeah. So make sure that you're able to hold yourself accountable and to, to really have a plan and to always be thinking of the next step because building a business is not easy. You're going to have highs and you're going to have lows. Don't ride the highs. Don't ride the lows. Just try to stay as as middle ground as you can and remember why you're doing this in the first place. That's such beautiful advice. And it's really nice to hear it coming from someone, you know, like you, who's really built their entire business from, you know, from that first, well, I was going to say from that first video, from that first batch of 12 videos, (laughs) (laughs) you know, to now, um, like to have had all of your success, uh, really come from you, uh, putting yourself out there on this platform. It's really helpful. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I love this. I love talking with you, Brittany. It was so lovely talking to Caleb. I swear I could feel his energy radiating through the screen. Also, I just gotta say, modern day combination of Richard Simmons and Britney Spears, mm, chef's kiss. It's clear that staying true to himself and what he's most passionate about is the driving force behind everything Caleb does. Not to mention the amount of consideration he puts into creating a welcoming brand. Caleb's story is just one example of a thriving content creator ecosystem. But there are so many other ways creators monetize. To understand what's possible on YouTube, I got on the phone with Jamie Byrne. Hi, my name is Jamie Byrne. I oversee creator partnerships at YouTube. Uh, I just hit my 15-year anniversary at the company, so I've kind of got this incredible uh, you know, kind of history of YouTube that I've seen it develop from the very early days uh, to where it is today. That's perfect because I wanted to start off by asking about YouTube's early days. So uh, now YouTube makes so many tools available to creators to help them monetize and scale their channels. But what was the relationship with YouTube creators like in the beginning? Like, did YouTube have a system set up to pay creators from the start? Sure. So, I mean, I think I remember, you know, when I discovered YouTube and it was in the, it was in January of 2006 and I was, I wasn't working at YouTube at the time. I I was at Yahoo and I, and I saw these creators on the platform that had very simple production. You know, all they had were webcams. They were talking into the camera, talking directly to their fans and then interacting not only with their fans, um, but also with one another. And it was really clear at that moment that, you know, something different and special, you know, was happening on this platform with the creator ecosystem uh, that, you know, that was kind of developing. And I think, you know, it was something that we tried to nurture at a very, you know, in the very early days, you know, we started experimenting with sharing revenue, you know, as early as 2006, you know, I, re- I remember, you know, w- you know, kind of calling up Smosh, which was one of the most popular creators on the platform at the time and offering them like a monthly payment. Wow. <laughs> it is so wild to think that there was ever a time that YouTube had to ask people to be full-time creators. I mean, obviously things are really different today. Um, could you give, like, could you help give like a brief overview of the different ways creators are able to make money from their channels now? When you, when you start to think about the monetization features that are available to YouTube creators, you know, kind of on our platform, of course, like the biggest engine 
is you know advertising revenue and so the majority of creators on our platform you know earn the most kind of the, the biggest percentage of their revenue comes comes from ads um, but what we've also done is kind of expanded into a number of different fan funded type models to, to help supplement that income like we have something called super chat which allows while you're live streaming it allows your fans to kind of uh, contribute uh, contribution to you, which then raises your profile in the live stream chat. We have channel memberships, which is really kind of a virtual fan club for a, a creator's super fans and allows them special access to the creator, maybe access to special content that's private, you know, for some period of time. And so we have currently 10 different ways on YouTube that creators can generate revenue. Again, everything from ads to some of these newer models, which are, you know, that are generated from, from the fans themselves and really kind of, uh, you know, really kind of, um, kind of speak to that connection that a creator has with their community. I'm curious, are there any features that are more popular or successful than others? The exciting thing about having so many different options, 10 different options uh, for creators to monetize is there's no one playbook, right? So depending on who you are as a creator, um, depending on what market, what, what country you might be in around the world, the behavior of viewers in that market, you may have a totally different mix of tools that you use to generate revenue, right? And I think one of the things that we all know is that the most robust media businesses have diversified revenue streams, right? So, you know, I think there's no one way for creator to do it. You know, if they if they happen to be really niche, they may not have, you know, huge amounts of views and generate tons of ad revenue, but they may, but they'll probably be really successful with something like channel memberships or super chat, where they have really engaged fans that really care about the content that they're creating. You know, it's exciting to hear about so many of the monetization features from the source because I think so frequently people just think that it's ads and that's it. Like that's the only way that you can make money from YouTube. So it's really helpful to know that there's so many options out there, especially for creators and followings of different sizes. Um, but it makes me wonder, like, what are some common misconceptions people have about how YouTube compensates its creators? Yeah. And I think actually, you know, I think that, you know, in terms of like thinking about misconceptions, you know, one of the misconceptions could be that you can't, you know, earn significant revenue on YouTube unless you're a very, very large creator. You know, and I think because of all of these different monetization options that we do have that are fan driven, um, it, it, it means that, you know, if you have a really committed fan community, you know, even if your ad revenue is on the on the smaller side, you can actually make significant, uh, you know, earnings from engaging your fans and, you know, giving them access to special features, special content, or, you know, or many of your fans will contribute just because they, they feel really connected to you and they want to be recognized through things like Super Chat or something like that. You know, YouTube is one of the first and biggest platforms where creators can get a good following then grow beyond the platform and have lots of success. But then they always come back to YouTube. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I mean, when, when we talk to creators, you know, one of the things that they often tell us is that, you know, we're really, they consider YouTube to be their home base. It's where they nurture their, it's where they nurture their fans. 
Um, you know, we have the largest reach of any content platform. We have 2 million people that come to YouTube every single month that creators have the opportunity to engage with. So when they're small, you know, maybe the majority of their revenue just comes through, you know, kind of some of these monetization features, but as they grow and influence, they're able to kind of branch out, start other businesses, start, start commerce lines, sell merchandise and things of that nature. We're really proud that we're able to kind of provide this kind of central hub for creators to build, you know, their, the, the media businesses of the future. So Jamie, you've been working with creators for more than a decade and you've kind of gotten this like front row seat to the rise of the creator economy. What sort of impact do you think creators have had on the culture at large? You know, they were really at the vanguard and what they've really done is not only changed YouTube, but they've, they've helped deliver you know, what we now talk about as the creator economy, which, you know, as we know, it's not just video creators, it's journalists, it's creators of all types. And so, you know, I think it's really exciting to have been, you know, from, from a YouTube point of view, part of that journey. But every creator that's been on YouTube since day one has helped kind of get us to where we are today. Jamie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today. It has been wonderful. There's really no one way to build a business on YouTube. Next week, we'll be peering into the playbook of another creator whose YouTube career has allowed her to craft her ideal work-life balance. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for joining me on this journey into the world of YouTube creators. Remember to tune in every Wednesday and be sure to rate and follow wherever you get your podcasts. The Upload, The Rise of the Creator Economy is a YouTube podcast produced in partnership with National Public Media. Our executive producers are Brianna LaFleur and Erica Osher. Our supervising producer is Shannon Berner. Our lead producer is Teresa Avila, editing and engineering by Ali Kiltz. Production assistance by Gurjeet Kaur with support from Maddie Weinberg. Our logo was created by Jen Grottle and our music is by Tima Likes Music. I'm your host, Brittany Luce, and thank you for listening.